Welcome back to the Corporate Escapee Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today's guest is John Seelig. John is half sales guy, half stand-up comedian, but a 100% corporate escapee. John cut his teeth as an enterprise sales rep before moving into sales management for another tech company. But to keep himself sane, he started doing stand-up comedy, I believe, in 2011. He can confirm that here in a second. Uh, but ultimately, John left the corporate world and started a sales training business, but with a twist. He trained sales reps and sales teams how to use comedy and joke writing to better connect with their prospects and customers. He's been doing this now for almost five years, maybe it's six years. But anyway, welcome to the podcast, John. And did I miss anything? No, you you, you pretty much nailed it. The one thing I'll just add is that uh, I help enable sales teams through the process of joke writing. So it's not about turning sellers into a raging pack of Seinfelds, but <laughs> But putting people through that journey of like, how do we trigger our prospects around the problems we solve for them forces them to master what problems do we solve for who? And uh, how does it trigger their emotions and, and affect and impact their objectives? Yeah, and I love that. And we've known each other a while now. But I mean, it just it's just, you know, we, we talk about, you know, different is better than better. And, you know, I think your approach and it makes sense. And I do want to spend some time up front, definitely want to get through your journey and you know, how you, you left enterprise selling to <laughs> move into the, the the training and the enablement world. But, you know, as, as you work with folks, people like me, sellers, non I mean, it's, it's a life skill and how do you connect with people? So even though I know you focus with sales, right, what you do is actually help anybody better connect with others. So maybe spend a few minutes talking about your, your process and approach or how, how let, let's take a step back and how you got there, how you thought, you know, I can combine, you know, comedy and in sales. Yeah. So like you nailed it. I, I was selling enterprise technology for about nine and a half years or, you know, and, and maybe at the, maybe a year before I kind of wrapped up that piece of things, I started doing standup because selling enterprise technology is extremely lucrative and challenging, but at the same time I was, I was feeling pretty unfulfilled and uh, I came from the Oracle world where a lot of sales reps then go on to sell for another large tech player, whether it be SAP, Salesforce, Microsoft. And I saw a lot of the, like my peers who I started out with, they're going on this, this carousel. Um, they're just hopping from one to the other. And, you know, every company, every time you join a new company, the lingo changes, the systems change, the policies change. Um, and, but, but ultimately you're, you're doing the same job and you have to wrap your head around all this new stuff. And I never wanted to, to manage people. You did say I managed, um, uh, I was I was a sales manager. I was not a sales manager, to be quite frank. Uh, just just a full cycle sales rep. I did everything from prospecting to inside sales to field sales, and I knew I didn't want to manage people. And I knew that I was capable of more. Um, and I'd be speaking with CIOs about their data warehousing initiatives, and I would tell them that uh, we offer robust reporting and analytics solutions. Um, to help them get their dashboards and you know, reports. And I also realized I, I don't care what tool they use to accomplish this. It's not my problem. I thought about it. It's like, I don't use this stuff. Like, I'm just telling you how great it is. And there was something a little bit unfulfilling about that uh, for me. Some people are very money motivated and I realized I was not. I realized my time is the number one resource in my life. And if I can enjoy how I spend my time, I'm probably going to make more money in the long run. 
because I'll be more enthusiastic about it. I started to, to get unenthusiastic about the stuff I was selling and didn't know what else to do. And I was looking for a creative outlet and I got into stand up. Did you have any type of background or any connection into the stand up comedy world before you started dabbling? How did that happen? So it's a bit of an accident. First, I used to play music. I, I was always looking for creative outlets. I used to jam with people. Okay. I was always the guy who organized little jam bands, little groups, weekend warrior type stuff. But I was always the weak link. And eventually they kind of like gently nudge me out. We like you, but you're slowing us down a little bit. And I got dejected from, it happened a few times. Um, I could do what I could do. I was always up front with this is what I can do. It's like sort of playing pickup basketball or whatever your favorite sport is. And there's always one person who just struggles and therefore it brings the team down a little bit. And I recognize that I wasn't, I wasn't immune to it. I wasn't like, uh, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't lost on me. Um, I took an improv class after that. Cause I'm like, okay, well, I don't need to master an instrument. I had done some improv before improv is fun, but if you have the wrong teammates, much like music, it can be a bad experience. Oh, okay. And there were some people in the class who weren't the greatest teammates. Um, once upon a time, I had taken a comedy writing class, which is like something that's really up my alley. And it was more about like creating sketches and, and treatments for, for sitcoms and stuff like that. And someone in my improv class who saw I was frustrated with some of the people in the class said, you know, there's a comedy writing class happening here in Montreal where I live. You, you might appreciate that. And I signed up for it. It was taught by um, a comedian who I know from like time I'm 17. He's, he's only a couple of years older than me. And I show up for the class. I pay my money. And I get there and I thought we, it was going to be a class to help you write sketches and I'd meet some people and we create some fun YouTube videos. And like, I thought like, you know, that kind of stuff was really up my alley, but he then goes on to say, this is a stand-up comedy class. And after 10 weeks of this class, you will do five minutes of stand-up for your friends and your family. And my initial instinct was, no, I won't. I will not <laughs> do that under any circumstances, but he would assign us like some homework a little assignment every week, which is meant to build um, upon just taking straightforward thoughts and turning that into comedy to stand up. After about six weeks of getting up in front of my peers in the class who were all horribly unfunny um, and uncreative, I realized I was light years ahead of them and that like, I'll do this final exam. I'll do the five minutes of stand up, but I'm not inviting my friends or my family. That would be too embarrassing. Right. Um, so I did it. I did it. And I got laughs. And then I was addicted. I bet with the, yeah, as soon as you get a laugh, right, that's, that's gotta be the drug that keeps you coming back. Right. <laughs> it, well, the bigger drug is when you get like a bunch of laughs over five minutes, you realize, Oh, okay. Like I, I sort of get what's going on here and how this works. And then I did it a second time and I got bigger laughs. I had seven minutes versus five and I got bigger laughs and I thought I'm unstoppable. But the third time I hit the Holy Royal trifecta of suck. I bombed, I blanked, and I got heckled by a comedian on hallucinogenic drugs. Oh my god! <laughs> and then I got, then I blanked some more, and then I bombed some more, and then I was miserable for about a week. And I said, I can't let that be the last time I do stand up. And I came back and kept doing it, but my confidence like was very shaken, and that took some time to rebuild. But I love the process. I felt myself getting stronger um, at stand up. And I hadn't felt myself like improving at stuff in many years. I felt I had sort of leveled off 
the key to comedy or a lot of this, even content in general, it's really about the the process of putting it together, the delivery. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the easy part because I've never actually done it. But if you have good content, right, and it's funny, it's easier to, to deliver than somebody who's just naturally funny with bad content. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah. Like when I work with sales teams, I tell them, look, I, I don't teach you to be the life of the party. I don't teach you to all of a sudden say spontaneously funny, crazy things off the top of your head. I teach you how to structure a message that can be delivered over and over and over. Um, and, and that's it. It's like, you know, when I do workshops with teams, uh, occasionally a breakout group, cause they do this all in breakout groups, they'll write the, they'll write a good joke. And, and the guy or girl up there delivering the joke, we have an open mic at the end of the workshop where each breakout group has to deliver their jokes to their peers. And I'll be working with them in advance and I'll tell them that that's a good joke. Like what you wrote there was good, but they haven't practiced it. And they'll get up there and it'll bomb in front of their peers and they'll feel terrible. And I'll be like, it's the first time you told it. You told it in front of your peers. Just let it breathe. Think about it. Make it your own. And over time, you'll be able to slide that into your conversation. No problem. Here is the place to bomb, not with your prospect. So... Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And I promise we will get into your journey out of uh, sales and into the the, the coaching and the, the teaching aspect. But where and what was the point that you realized you could marry the two? When I was selling, I used my natural wit and sense of humor in an improvised way to connect with my prospects. But I had a, a, a realization way before I started doing stand up. I'd be I was working with pre-sales engineers who would run demos and we'd be delivering a demo on something really sexy, like global financial consolidation, <laughs> um, which I, you know, with two business degrees, like I still can't tell you what that really is. Um, you know, I have an idea, but don't know if I'd be the greatest to really explain the process. And you know, when you're selling enterprise tech, you lean on your pre-sales engineers who are subject matter, matter experts around things like global financial consolidation as well as how your tools can handle that business process. And I, I had a pre-sales engineer, um, bit of a dry guy, nice guy, but a bit of a dry topic, of course. And in the middle of the demo, he'd slide in this, this deep cut joke about like what sucks about the way they're handling it today. And I, I thought that was really clever. Like that was, he just made that up. But then we had another demo a couple of weeks later, he slid the exact same joke in. I'm like, what? You know? <laughs> okay. And then I realized, like, when I started doing stand-up, you're getting in front of a supposedly a different audience. Well, you are. Like, I just, because when I was doing this class, it dawned on me. It's the same group of people every week that you're presenting to. But you realize that when you're doing comedy, your audience changes every time. But your material sort of stays the same. And it's your job to tighten it up and improve it. And I realized, like, that, that, that stand-up is sales, but with a much crappier compliment. And I realized, like, that, like, it, it, stand-up is a sales job. It's, it's, it's kind of like sales and marketing all put together. You have to get up there. How you present yourself matters, how you package yourself. And when you walk on stage as a comedian, you know, who the audience has never seen, because let's face it, 99.999% of comedians who you'll ever see perform aren't famous. No one knows who I am. So I have like 15 seconds to get them to laugh at something I say. And I need to say something that's hyper relevant to them or that's on their mind. Right. Um, okay. And, and that's like a cold call. We have five to 10 seconds from the time the person on the other end says hello to get them to let their guard down and to, to earn their attention. Um, 
And comedy, it's maybe 15 seconds. And maybe you need to do that twice in a row. But once you make them laugh, like in succession, like boom, 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 they kind of like you and they trust you and you're credible. And then you could sort of take a little bit longer with where you need to go to get to the next big um, laugh. So I realized it's, and, and part of doing that is you have to know the room. You have to be able to like look at this audience and make some really snap assertions about who is this demographic. Um, you know, we have an MC at comedy shows who warms up the crowd. And, you know, some shows that the MC will just come out and do 10 minutes of jokes. But I think that's not how in a show should be MC'd. An MC should be learning about the audience. And the comedians, if they're smart, will pay attention. Yeah, so they'll say, hey, who, who's visiting us from out of town? And if three quarters of the audience is like, yeah, we're from out of town, maybe it's best not to make jokes about traffic at a certain intersection in town or um, some local celebrity and dumb stuff yeah. they do. No one will know who they are. So it really is about understanding your audience and being able to offer your audience value, you know, every 30 seconds tops kind of thing. And this is this is a life skill too. I mean, that's one thing I've kind of learned from you know working with you know subject matter experts such as yourself that you know even though we apply it to sales or we think about it for marketing, but man, every day every day is a sales job, right? The relationships and the people we meet, and you know we want to set the tone or that you said you got five seconds when you meet somebody new. Are you going to be memorable or is it just going to fade? So just as you're talking about that, I'm like, man, there's just certain things that networking or different areas that what you're talking about just applies, right? I know you had to pick a niche and go, but be a good life skill. Yeah. And like, that's the thing. Standup teaches you a lot about how to connect with humans quickly and in a way that's more about them versus you. I was on a show in, I think it was San Diego like sort of a pro-am show. And there was this one 30-year-old guy who got up on stage and he was dressed in a suit and he told great, really well-constructed jokes. Like jokes, there's like a there's like a science to them. He wrote these really great jokes about 90s Britpop bands like Swartz, like Suede, Blur, and Pulp. You remember these guys? He wrote these really great jokes, but the problem was no one was laughing because everyone was either 18 or 60. So oh. no one got the joke and he just kept going and he wasn't, he wasn't re- he wasn't listening to them and he wasn't he wasn't reading the audience very well and you got to be able to know your audience no matter what your circumstance is if you're at a networking event if you're talking to a prospect or you're on stage delivering a bunch of jokes about 90s Britpop bands the reason i did want to to get you on this time is um is your journey, right? Because we talk about corporate escapees getting out of the nine to five, you're not being fulfilled, you know, the money might be good, but it's not your schedule, not your time, all these good things. And, you know, you actually took the plunge, you know, before I did. And you know, what I like to do with this, this podcast is just show people that what's possible. I think initially, if we've been in corporate too long, we think the only thing we can do is, you know, sell our time you know, sell our time for money and just do the exact same thing we're doing, but for somebody else at a reduced rate. And the, the paths are, are kind of wide open. And that's what I love about your story is you took two things that energize you. I'm assuming sales still energizes you, but <laughs> the comedy <laughs> for sure. And, you know, you ventured, you know, out on your own. So what, what kind of went into that, that planning process that, all right, I think I'm onto something. There's definitely a gap here. I'm going to go start this, this business. What was the, uh, 
just how'd you get started? <laughs> um, I didn't do enough planning is how I got started. Um, so that's, that's maybe a really valuable lesson for anyone listening is do more planning than I did. And, and I'll tell you the genesis of this. Uh, I had launched a project where I was trying to marry stand-up comedy and travel. So putting on kind of these fundraiser comedy shows where there's a lot of, you know, English speaking tourism in Latin America was where we were doing it. Uh, Mexico, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and we were helping raise money for nonprofits and there's no money in, in doing everything I just described. Uh, the business model came after a little bit of figuring out, I, I want to become like a, a, cont- a, a, a video production company for the travel space, creating content for their Facebook page, for their, their, their Instagram feed, using my stand-up comedians and getting them to sponsor our shows. And, but ultimately we're going to create content from our travels. Um, you know, something like this is even before Conan O'Brien was doing what he was doing with his, his travels, like that kind of thing. Some people said, Oh, it's like Anthony Bourdain kind of stuff. And I never watched Anthony Bourdain. I just thought like comedians in other countries is, is funny. Like we're, we're fish out of water. Um, and, and we're raising money at night for these, these, these mainly 501c3s, nonprofits who were set up to help the communities that these people were living in. And I invested some time into that. The you know, kind of I produced three tours over three years. I I kind of have some SaaS jobs that I didn't care about to pay the bills. And I was trying to figure out something really new and different. And when I realized this wasn't going to work, which I, for reasons I won't get into, um, because we don't have the next two weeks, um, I I just I created a presentation years ago. Someone said, "Why don't you be a speaker?" And I created a presentation on how presenters can use humor to connect with an audience. And so I had a choice. Do I want to like go back and find a job that I don't care about and just live life, live out life? Or do I want to double down on my stand-up comedy background, which has always separated me from everyone else at a party? Not because I'd get up there and perform, but because people were fascinated. They didn't even care how funny I was or how funny I wasn't. They were just sort of impressed that I did it. And I realized this is my superpower and I need to double down on this. I need to figure out how to make this identity work for me. Um, and, you know, thankfully I do, I did know how to get laughs in, in a crowd. It took me some, uh, in front of an audience. It took me some time, but I knew how to string together material that crowds liked and put together a bit of a narrative around things. Um, and there's a lot of lessons that can be taken from that approach. So I figured I'll speak to sales teams because I have a bit of a sales, but well, not a bit. I have a major sales background. Yeah. And I realized like every sales team has a meeting at least once a year, maybe four times a year, and they're going to want some content. And so I put together this presentation on how can sellers use humor to connect. And then really quickly, I built out the workshop because I figured it's not enough for me to come and speak. I want to help these teams. And that's kind of how I got started. And I didn't do any research. I just figured I will be different because I used to, when I was working at Oracle, they'd bring in all kinds of speakers and I I'd sort of sleep through them. Right. Motivational speakers. But I'm like, why are you motivating me? Either I make a lot of money or get fired. If that isn't enough to motivate me, like what, I don't know what we're doing here. If like those two things don't motivate me, um, either the fear of getting fired or the desire to make a lot of money is motivating enough. Or motivated to get out. <laughs> they get you to realize that, hey, I'm not happy doing this. It's I've got to go find something else to do. 
yeah, there's probably not a whole lot of upside with that. Well, mainly the speakers they were bringing in was motivating me that I got to do other things with my life because this is an hour of my life I will never get back. <laughs> and some people love that stuff. Some people love yeah. a motivational speaker and they love their story. And I, I, I was just like, I don't know, you're, you're talking about climbing a mountain. Like I'm, I'm trying to just get a CFO to sign a document, um, you know, get some buy-in from some people. I'm not sure how these two tie together, but good for them. <laughs> yeah, it works so, for some, for sure. Yeah. And so, so I didn't do a hell of a lot of reason. I kind of went on gut and instinct and I admittedly thought it would be super cool if I could teach supply chain software salespeople to tell deep cut supply chain jokes about the problems they solve to their personas to get them to demonstrate that trust and credibility and break the ice and figure out how can they exploit that joke in other ways to start more conversations. And I really believed in this and I still do. Um, but I did very little research and I didn't even understand what business I was getting into. Um, when I started, I thought I was a speaker, but really quickly people were like, no, you're in sales training because I was getting yeah. reps to do things and answer questions and, and work together. And I, I, to this day, I still am confused sometimes. Am I a speaker? Am I a sales trainer? Like, how do I market myself? Like, so the point is I, I, I didn't do much research when I started. I just figured I would be different and that would attract prospects to me and that that you know that's been true to some degree yeah i mean difference always better than better it's easier to to show you're different than than better you have to be 10 times better and you know i think it's super interesting too where um as you know i've spent 20 plus years in the b2b sales and marketing go to market and i had the unique privilege i guess of of working in each of the silos over time so get a good sense of where it works. And, you know, one of the things I'm starting to see now much in much smaller orgs is what you're talking about is no longer a sales function. It's becoming the organization's function, right? How do we yeah. tell our story? How do we connect with people? And you're right. When you can do it with humor, I mean, why would you do it with, with sadness? Right. <laughs> right? So if you're going to connect, you know, it just makes, you know, because again, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the, the companies I work for and, you know, it is almost even coming further back and says, man, how do we just connect not only with prospects, but even our current customers? Is there a better way to, to develop that? So I, I got something to add to that. And you're, you're not when we when you said it's using humor to connect is better than using sadness to connect. Humor is predicated upon sadness. It's predicated upon pain and tragedy. And all we're doing is converting that pain and that tragedy and we're, we're we're getting prospects through creative messaging to acknowledging that pain and that tragedy and that sadness is true and that's real you're triggering an emotional reaction from them by getting them to acknowledge that yeah we're dealing with that that's a real thing that's funny because it's true that thing that sucks that you just highlighted and of course it's not the kind of pain like you know real life disease or anything like that but it's it's business pain right 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 and so, yeah. so we, in a sense, you are treading upon sadness and pain. Um, you're just packaging it up in a different way to get a, to get a positive reaction versus a, a depressing one. You know, so where, where are you at today? And, you know, where do you see this, this business going in the future? Yeah. So I've learned a lot about how to help my clients through, through trial and error um, and through making some poor assumptions and not asking enough questions up top. 
Um, and so those those are my big, I guess, big lessons I want to impart. Don't make assumptions about who your clients are and what they're going through and, and also your value to them. And be sure to ask a lot of questions as to how they're doing things today um, and what's what's not working with it. So when I started this, I just assumed I had come from a, I, I came from Oracle where they're always training you. They, you are an investment to that company. You get two weeks of deep dive onboarding and then every week there's a training uh, of some kind. And then every quarter there's like a larger training, like uh, they'll bring in a big sales methodology. And, um, they'll, they'll, and, and I realized like, I thought every company was just doing that. I thought that was like normal practice. Um, I never nope. really asked. <laughs> no, no. And when I, when I started to put teams through my workshops, I just assume like our goal is to write a joke about a problem that they solve for their prospects and tell a story through the joke about what sucks, like how, how that, that problem is going to impact them. And they'd write jokes. The jokes would end up on a whiteboard. I'd leave and then I'd reach out to them and say, hey, are the jokes working for you? Are you guys using them in anything? They're like, no, like, what are you talking about? And I realized, well, didn't you say you needed some messaging? And like, they didn't connect the dots that this could be copy that you use. Um, and so then I started to build them a playbook. I'd say like, hey, I'll help you build a playbook using these jokes on how can you exploit these jokes for, for cold email, for cold calls, LinkedIn connection requests, and voicemails, videos, texts, whatever. I'd build them a playbook. I'd give it to them. Nothing would happen. And I realized they need to have their hands held. Like I need to like, not only do I need to like fill the cup of water up, I need to hold it to their lips, pull down their jaw, pour the water down their throat. And then I started to include coaching. And then we started to see results. So one of the assumptions I made is that sales leadership knows everything. They know what to do with everything. And it took me a few bops over the head to make me go, they're kind of fumbling around just like I am. Yeah. And so everything has been, everything I delivered today has been an iteration off the previous client, if that makes sense. I'm, yeah. No, 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 I think that makes sense. Yeah. But, but yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. So, so I've developed what I do over a period of time. And then there's the other side of things. I always thought they needed jokes. And I had one CRO client who we had a great QBR where I worked with some of his team. They delivered jokes to the rest of their team about privacy compliance, global privacy compliance efforts. Well, what a pain in the ass it is to track regulations and laws and spreadsheets. And it went really well. And uh, we got on a debrief call and I said to the CRO, um, and you can see this testimonial on my website. It's from a guy named Jason Westbecker at TrustArk. And I leaned in, I said, so what'd you think of this? Uh, I asked the question, so what'd you think of this? And he leaned in and he goes, look, I don't want to tell you how to run your business, but, and I thought he was going to tear what I do to shreds. He says, but the jokes don't matter. He says, everything else that you put them through leading up to the jokes is where the big win was. You got new reps who hadn't even started on the job expressing what problems we solve for who in simple English fast. And so I'm like, mm. oh, I always thought they like they knew all this stuff. But it turns out reps don't know the subject matter. So just the process I put them through forced them to learn from each other and master the important stuff. And I realized there's an enablement piece to what I do in a messaging piece. 
uh, the next big step for me is to figure out which companies out there need which piece. <laughs> so I, mean, I don't have the answer. Sort of almost all of them, but <laughs> but as you we target, right? So you can find the ideal customers that you want to work with and they're going to get the most value from you. No, that's 100%. I had flashbacks before I went into traditional management consulting. I worked for a company. It was more of a sales training company and high growth SaaS companies, right? And they were not cheap. They were really good at what they did. It was really around messaging and positioning and differentiation and doing that. But the problem was they'd come in and do and deliver like a two days to the sales organization, maybe part of sales kickoff. They bring everybody in because they made this huge investment in it. But there was no mechanics to incorporate it into future trainings or everything they do from that point forward. So if you weren't in on that and you got hired three months later, probably weren't going to get it. 50% were already weren't going to use it after they left. So within six months, only you know 15% of the org is actually using it. And guess what? Those are the 15% or were already really good or now even better because they've yeah. really learned how to do it. So, so I was having flashbacks because almost every company that their biggest challenge was Yes, this is important, but then how do we take it and carry it for the enablement piece, right? Is, you know, it's an afterthought a lot of the time. So yeah, that's why I, I encourage these smaller companies. I mean, you've got a huge advantage if you can get the organization bought in, right? You don't have to worry about just sales reps telling the story and coordinating it with marketing. So I don't know, John, I'm going to find plenty of... Uh, <laughs> opportunities. We'll, we'll figure out how to tie because definitely some of the, the accounts I work with are missing this piece of it. And this is definitely not my uh, my strength either. And that's the other thing I've learned is, you know, figure out who's good at what <laughs> yeah. and leverage those resources. So, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's a good lesson. I mean, I know what my weaknesses are. I know I stink at marketing. Uh, I stink at managing marketing efforts. So even when I contract some people out, I'm not the greatest at managing them, but I know this, I don't have a fix for it, but I know this stuff and I try and deal with it accordingly. Like I try and deal with my own yeah. crappy management style. I just want things to be done. Like, you know, there's a reason why we don't work at companies because we don't want to manage people. Right. Exactly. So I, we left, right? <laughs> I say your, your worst day on your own is better than maybe your best day that you had in least my latter years of corporate America. So it's, uh, yeah, no, it's good. And, I, and again, I think the the future we're heading this way, I did something not too long ago on the future of work and, you know, contract, not even contract, but fractional type work and those things. And it's going to be even a bigger challenges for these orgs when they're not even all their own employees, they've got to get on the same page. And again, you, you help people solve how to connect with, with folks. You know, that's, I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle for for many organizations. So, you know, I, I, my big advice, again, I look back on my own journey. It's like, and I've already said it. It's like, I didn't, I didn't ask enough questions and I made some assumptions. Um, and I think that's really where everyone should start is like, you know, you're thinking about offering something. So what, who cares, figure it out. And maybe they'll give you an idea of like, you're onto something, but that's not the angle they would take. Like if I was starting over, I'd probably, there's probably a bunch of things I do differently. Um, you know, I've had, I've, I've had some branding challenges. Some people have told me you got to drop the word comedy from your name because people don't take you seriously at that point. But I'm like, I don't know. I've been at conferences where people pick up my lanyard and see comedy writing for revenue teams. Tell me more because yes. it's different. 
And then you and then you get some people who like that they have their reading glasses on, they pick up your badge and they're like and they drop it <laughs> and they walk away. And I I probably wasn't going to sell those people anyway. Right. right. So, but, but at the same time the name causes confusion. So, you know, like I said, ask questions, don't make assumptions, be careful of your branding. Um figure out where your tribe is and how you can get to them. I mean, that's just marketing 101, right? Um, but, but know your so what and who cares. I think those are the two most, that's the best advice I can give to anybody who's going off on their own. Right. That's, that's for sure. And I think the other piece is, I mean, you had a bunch of good advice in there, but I think, you know, it, it's okay if you don't appeal to everybody, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the probably the narrower your focus, the better, right? Because as, as an individual, we don't have to sell a million people in order to, you know, satisfy the board of directors and the stockholders. We just <laughs> find that balance of life that we're looking for. You want a little bit more money? All right, I mean, maybe I can raise some prices or do something a little bit different. But yeah, pick to the ones you really, really want to work with. And probably, and, and I don't know if there's a quicker way to do it than, than you did. Maybe, maybe not. But I think it's part of it is just getting out, delivering what you do and, and you take that feedback. So, but the other advice I'd say is don't chase the shiny object too quickly, right? Give it a chance to see where, where it lands as a joke lands before you don't tell it again, because it didn't work once. Right. <laughs> I've learned something pretty much every client that I've incorporated into the next one, we learn new tools, new technologies, better ways of doing things. So just, just stick with it. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, and I guess one other little piece of advice I could recommend is, uh, it's not advice, it's a recommendation. Read, um, read, uh, I read, I read Lynchpin. Well, Lynchpin. I'm lying. I read the first like 95 pages of Lynchpin by Seth okay. Godin. And he kind of repeats the same thing over and over and over and over. And you're kind of like at page 95, I get this. Like I, I get what he's saying. So I think that's a good one. It's like figure out figure out like how to where, where where you fit, what makes you indispensable, and and how you can be indispensable to your clients. He talks about the concept of creating art in the business world, and art isn't about painting a picture or writing a joke. It's just like doing something unique for clients that that makes you indispensable. And I, I took a lot from that ninety five yeah, pages. That I read. You know that's awesome, and I would highly encourage folks. We'll put all. What's the best way for for people to? track you down and learn more about you and your business. Yeah. LinkedIn or my website, uh, J O N no H J O N S E L I G.com. And that's the best way to find me. You can find me with that name on LinkedIn. And definitely follow him on LinkedIn. His content is good. And he is, I'd call you funny, but sometimes Canadians get mad when they, <laughs> but your content is really good. The website's good. So go check it out. And like I said, if you're struggling with connecting with your prospects or your team's been struggling with it and, you've tried different things, you know, reach out to John. It's definitely, um, I said unique, right? It's, it's different, but it works. And so, like I said, I'm not naturally on the humor side. I'm working to get better, but you know, with the process and some of the writing, it, it helps. So John, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing your story and, uh, we'll catch up with you soon.